What's up guys, I'm Taylor and welcome to episode 4 of Taylor Talks Boxing, a boxing podcast brought to you by The Fight Site. And first things first guys, I'd like to apologise for the inconsistent upload times of these particular podcasts. So as you may know, I've got my exams going on at the minute and they finish next Friday. So after that, I'll hopefully be able to more consistently put out podcasts and uh, yeah, just generally be a lot more active and, and on the ball with this. I, I appreciate your patience and I appreciate my, the uploads have been a bit inconsistent in terms of when they've come along. But uh, yeah, going forward, they'll be a lot more regular. So I'm going to start off straight away today and, and dive in because you guys, you guys know I like to keep these relatively short in order to be accessible. So we're going to kick things off today with uh, answering some of the questions that I put out on Twitter. So I put a, a post up saying, hey, fire some questions my way, and we got quite a few replies, so I'm going to start off with them today. So the first one we're going to do is from Miguel Class, or at Mig Class on Twitter, and I liked this question in particular. His question was, what do you think of Keyshawn Davis's first three pro fights? And I think Keyshawn so far, I've been really impressed by it. For you guys who have followed me for a while, I've been singing Keyshawn's praises for, for quite a long time now. So since about 2017 when I started watching him. And he's he's just a phenomenal talent. So composed. I mean, if you've watched him, I'd recommend watching him. His first couple of pro performances. He's looked so composed. He looks like a veteran already. He's so calm in there despite his age. He's very patient. He doesn't overexert himself. He constantly looks in control. And there's just a real veteran kind of savvy about him. He doesn't know all the tricks yet. Uh, a lot of the pro tricks and some of the nuances of it, like his finishing instincts aren't there just yet. And, you know, he still makes some mistakes, but his general attitude in the ring and the confidence he exudes is is really something. He doesn't get too excited. He doesn't make loads of errors because he's so, you know, wanting to impress and try too hard. He's just calm, composed and goes about his business. And I love that. I think that's a fantastic quality to have in a prospect. As for the performances himself, I think they've genuinely been very good. Um, so I believe in his last performance, he went the whole six rounds, I believe it was. Um, and I've been impressed with him so far. He's not really lost so much as a round. Uh, he had his guy hurt in the in the last fight. I believe he knocked him down at the end of the first round. Uh, didn't get him out of there. But yeah, he's he's calm. He's composed. He's got that brilliant, sharp jab. That was one of the big features of his amateur career. Um, if you're, you're not familiar with Keyshawn's amateur career, he was the second best in the world at 63 kg. It was him and Andy Cruz, who's, for my money, the pound-for-pound pound best amateur in the world. And, uh, yeah, they were, they had a number of real close fights, three close fights um, in 2019 at the Pan Ams, the Worlds, and as well uh, at another tournament. And, yeah, he's had a lot of hype coming into the pros but so far he he seems as well um i know this isn't necessarily related to his performance but he has a real great head on his shoulders um if you guys have listened to him in interviews he seems really level-headed really humble he's very calm doesn't get too ahead of himself and he just he's great on the mic um just has that real star quality he's got bundles of personality just a really likable guy as well so that's definitely something he's got going for him. And going forward, I think he's going to be very, very marketable. As for his style itself, maybe not as marketable. But as I said, there's a lot to like. He's three fights in, right? And look, his competition has been pretty poor in general. But the last guy in particular, you know, he was tough. He didn't just roll over. He was there and he was a, he was a tough competitor. I believe he was Mexican, uh, maybe. I might be wrong there. I know Mark Castro, who I'll speak about in a minute. Uh, his opponent was Mexican, so I might be getting the conf them confused. Uh, they fought back-to-back -back from each other. Um, and yeah, it's he's looked sharp. I think his pressure's been intelligent. He hasn't overexerted himself. He's been patient. He's got some really nice counters in his locker. Um, defensively, I think he's been really solid. Uh, he's so quick. That body jab as well is something I've really liked from him. Um, you'll notice if you watch him, he invests in the body jab really early. And he's committed to it. And it's really great to see. I'm going to um, actually just have a look in, in a second. I wrote down some notes on his last fight. Um, some of the things I had uh, 
I was thinking about when I was watching him. And uh, yeah, no, I was I was very impressed. I always love watching him. I think that's partially because as well, um, obviously, as I said, I've been quite keen on him for a long time now. But it's just going to be really, really fun to, to watch him blossom uh, and just continue to develop into a top, top fighter. Um, and hold on, I'm just going to look for these now um, really quickly. If I can't find it in a second, I'll just move on because I can't be asked to, to, to look for too long. Ah, yeah, yeah. So I, I said this uh, the other day, um, a lot to like, and I agree, uh, there is a lot to like. Lots of raw ability. There is some stuff that he needs to refine, I think, though. Um, I, I don't think it was the most impressive performance from him. Um, I know a lot of guys naturally compare him to Mark Castro because they, they both switched over um, at the same time. And that's understandable. You know, I, I, I don't begrudge that at all. They're very different. And obviously, Mark has uh, those three amateur wins over uh, Keyshawn back in the uh, their amateur days, although it was quite a while ago now. Um, one of the things that I do think about uh, Keyshawn that he needs to work on is, in particular, in the amateurs, he wasn't great at dealing with pressure, um, a dedicated pressure fighter. There was one guy in particular who I think showed this really well. Hofhans Bachkov uh, from Armenia. So he was the European champion in 2019 uh, or 2020, I think it was maybe, 2020. And he put Keyshawn under pretty sustained pressure. And one tendency that Keyshawn has, which I think we'll see more in the pros as he continues to, to move up in terms of the level of his competition, is he tends to plant his feet a bit and counter rather than, you know, keep it moving, keep on the back foot. And uh, I think that's something as well that can, we will see that potentially be a problem. And I think it's something he needs to work on. I think as well, his actual defense isn't particularly layered. So he, you'll see him with this, uh, the, the Philly shell, right? Or the Michigan shell, whatever you want to call it. And it's, you automatically think, oh, savvy, slick, American defensive master. When you see a, a young guy as highly touted as Keyshawn. Uh, come in with that kind of guard, the shell. Um, but I don't actually think he's particularly layered defensively. Um, and the reason for this is, I've obviously watched a lot of him in the amateurs, and when you could back him up, he wasn't completely comfortable in that shell. Um, he tends to go for the, the more traditional high guard when he's backed up. He's more comfortable in that, which to me suggests a lack of depth to the shell itself. So he's not fully got to grips with it as a system yet. Um, he's not ready to, you know, he'll be under fire at the ropes and rather than sticking it, he'll, he'll go back to the, the relative safety net of the high guard, which, yeah, as I said, suggests to me that him, him and his coaches haven't really got the hang of the, the shell yet. He's not fully comfortable using it, uh, or being fully aware of understanding its capabilities and its advantages, its disadvantages on a level deep enough to actually, you know, use that at a high level. As well as that, I think, um, one thing that is I like about him is when he does use the shell, and it usually is in the centre of the ring more, he does this kind of, uh, it's called a wing block, but he'll use his arms uh, like from the shell to deflect the punches rather than just shoulders. So he'll like extend the shell out uh, and do like a wing block, wing block, which I think is cool, um, and I like him doing that. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's interesting to see. And he's got some stuff that I do like. So he likes using the stiff arm, um, he's he's very much someone who makes the most out of that. Um, I like it in some instances. I think sometimes it's not necessarily necessary. Um, and one thing that I do think is a bit not concerning. I think it's going to be one of those things that just comes with time. But he's quite one pace somewhat in terms of his tempo. Everything seems to be at the same speed. So he'll be touching guys up and he'll, he's really quick. But I'd like to see him vary that speed more. Um, just to throw guys timing off a little more and as well because he throws everything at the same speed guys can start to prepare for it um, and I don't think he's the most heavy-handed guy anyway uh, Keyshawn Davis but I'd like to see just a bit more variety in terms of the speed of his punches um, and as well because he's not particularly a, a big puncher 
when guys do push him back, I'd rather him get on his bike and lateral move rather than setting his feet, planting and, and, and trading. But generally, yeah, I think um, there's a real lot to like. The way he enters range as well, I didn't pick this up originally, um, but one of my friends who I, who I talk to uh, quite often, uh, Lee Wiley, uh, mentioned this to me actually. He uh, Lee picked up that he tends to gallop into range quite a lot, which I would agree with. Um, first time around when I was watching, didn't notice it, but once it was kind of mentioned to me, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point actually. Um, but yeah, most of my concerns, obviously it's three fights in, so a lot of my concerns are more from what I've seen in the amateurs, and I think the thing that concerns me is pressure, uh, how he'll cope with a dedicated pressure fighter who's difficult to dissuade, um, and not just someone you know who doesn't know how to cut off the ring like a David Lemieux type. Um, but yeah, very impressive, and as I've seen in the amateurs as well, he's got a great tactical versatility to him. He's very coachable, he's very versatile in terms of what he can do, uh, tactically he's on point, he's got great counter punching in his locker, he's got pressure behind a sharp jab in his locker, so there's a lot to love about Keyshawn, um, you know he's a really exciting young, ta young talent. And naturally, um, after talking about Keyshawn, we obviously have to give mention to Mark Castro, they tend to come up uh, together a lot when they're mentioned, and Mark I would say is a little more raw. Um, he's very different in style. He doesn't have the composure yet of Keyshawn. Um, Mark tends to get a little bit excited. You can just tell he loves to throw. He loves to let his hands go in bunches. Every opportunity, he will punch. Um, and the drawback with this is, is that he sometimes ends up basically fighting in spurts because he's so, so eager to let his hands go that he starts off setting a real furious pace and um, he ends up having to reel it in a bit and and pick his spots where he explodes because he can't sustain it. Um, and even though he's only done, I believe, like six rounders so far. Um, so that's something to work on. And as well, where he gets so excited, um, he has a tendency quite often to lose his shape. His balance can go a bit funny um, and his shape, his general form can can fall apart a little um, when he's throwing in these kind of combinations and whatever. Um, there's a few times where in his last fight, I saw him throwing a combination. They were nice combos, um, but he'd square up a little and just generally uh, you could see that he'd, he'd come out of his stance, which is fine at this level. But as you're moving up and stuff, you know, those are the kind of mistakes that you start to get punished for. As well as that, uh, Mark, as w I, I do think with Mark as well, he's got great head movement, right? But it's one of those things where he needs to, for me, think think about it. Or like, um, it's it's not, when he's throwing, for example, he's so focused on throwing and landing his offense that defense, in my opinion, becomes a bit of an afterthought for him. You'll see sometimes, like, he's got really good defensive instincts in some occasions. Like, and he, you know, have, you know, good elusive upper body movement. And I remember watching the guy he was fighting and the guy was hooking with him and he'd, he'd keep his... Uh, his glove glued to his face to, to block the hook. Uh, and that was nice and tight. I liked that. Uh, but there were other times as well where like I watched him jab and then he'd bring his hands back quite low and the guy would jab back and he just, you know, you could see he just momentary lapses of concentration um, is what it is. He's such a, a great guy though. And he's so humble. I think he's going to come real good. I really do. I get that um, quite a lot of people I've spoken to, um, about Mark have said, oh, like, you know, he's talented, but I don't think he's going to go all the way. Um, but I think when he just gets a bit more composure, which will come with experience, he will really, really um, turn good. And I spoke to Mark as well. And, you know, obviously I won't share the, the details entirely, but he did say um, that what he wants to work on is his IQ, uh, what punches to throw and where to place them. Uh, so, you know, some some fine tuning to reel in that killer, killer instinct. Um, and yeah, he, as I'm reading through the chat we had now, and he was saying, um, you know, just knowing when and how to explode. Um, and, you know, when he, and I've just seen this, this is a message I didn't see. He said, um, and he says, uh, this is the thing that I had a, a think about. Um, when I focus on defense, I'm difficult to hit. 
then I get eager to throw, which makes my defense not as good as it could be. And that's exactly um, what I I, uh, I would agree with. I think as well, he would be really suited to Eddie Reynoso. I think he that's a perfect fit. There's obviously the Mexican links between Mark and, and Reynoso, um, because Mark is, uh, I believe, half Mexican. Uh, I hope I'm right there. Um, I know he's got Mexican blood in him, and uh, he always represents Mexico uh, and has the flag when he's fighting. But um, I think that's a great fit because I think Mark's style, ideally, he likes to pressure. He likes to be in guys' faces. I think I could very much see him becoming the type who is a guy who slips on the front foot and counters, uh, backs guys up, and you know is a, is a counter combination puncher on the front foot. I think that is very much going to end up being his style. Um, it's what he loves to do. You can tell he's just eager to throw. So... And Reynoso will be able to to make him more efficient, which is basically what I think he needs uh, to control those uh, stamina kind of lulls and stuff and be more consistent with his output throughout. So yeah, that's a really good fit. And I know they've worked together before. Um, before he turned pro, they, they I think they trained together or whatever, him and Reynoso. So yeah, hopefully that pairing uh, happens. I'd love to see that. And I know they're not too far from each other. Uh, Mark being a California guy and Reynoso's gym I believe is in San Diego so hopefully that comes along but I have I have really high expectations for him he's uh, he's just a fantastic dude so grounded so humble um, very receptive to any and all kinds of criticism and just eager to learn he's going to go really far even if you don't particularly you know you haven't been really encouraged by his performances so far I'm telling you now bank on it he's gonna he's gonna really become something he really is so anyway, I'm going to move on to the next question. Now I've talked about uh, a bit about Keyshawn and um, Mark. And one of the questions that I've just seen uh, is from Dreams Are For Real. At Dreams Are For Real on Twitter, sweet pugilism or pugilism. Um, with the lack of amateur competitions during the pandemic as a whole, do you think this will lead to a decrease in quality at the Olympics and the possibility of more shocks? Yes, probably. I don't know about decrease in quality, maybe. I mean, you know, you'll get guys who aren't as sharp, uh, especially some of the Cuban guys who haven't really been that active uh, in, in major tournaments. So they're probably going to be a little bit rusty. Um, but I think more so it will lead to the possibility of shocks. There are going to be guys who haven't been as active as they probably wanted to be or need to be in some cases. And I think that lack of activity, they might be a bit rusty, um, could come back to bite them in the ass. The ones who I would be most concerned about for this would be the Cubans, um, because the Cubans haven't fought in any of the major tournaments in Europe all year. Um, they've had a few training sessions like camps with uh, the Kazakh national team. I know they've had a camp with... Uh, and there's been national championships in Cuba, but generally um, they probably haven't got the amount of international competition that they would ideally like before an Olympics. Um, and as well, a lot of the guys in Cuba, um, one particular guy who I'm thinking of is Josvani Vetia, uh, the flyweight representative. Arlen Lopez is a love, uh, another um, who struggle with discipline and they've been... In Vettia's case, he's been uh, sanctioned before. He's been kicked out of the team or suspended from the team for disciplinary issues. Um, and I think the long layoff is is definitely going to potentially hurt him. He looked good in the national team championships at the end of last year. So hopefully he's got back on the right path. Uh, I know he's back in the team now, so that's a good sign. But this kind of long layoff without high-level competition is, is a bit worrying, of course. Um, if you're a Cuban fan right now, this isn't ideal for your preparation for Tokyo. Um, other countries won't be as badly affected. So Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan stand out to me in this regard because the Uzbeks have pretty much been at every tournament. Uh, same with the Kazakhs. Kazakhs and Uzbeks have been everywhere. Um, and there's obviously next week, the Asian Championships in Dubai start. Uzbekistan will be there, as will Kazakhstan. They're both fielding really strong teams. Um, they're the two teams to watch. And uh, along with India, uh, India is obviously growing as a powerhouse. Uh, you know, it's on the rise. And there'll be guys like Amit going, uh, Vikas Krishan, uh, Kaushik, uh, Manish Kaushik. 
and uh, plenty of guys like that who are you know really uh, up and coming fighters as well as the the females uh, the female boxers uh, such as I don't know if I've gone off no I'm still going sorry um, yeah no um, Mary Com as well who's been around forever um, she's great and she's so India definitely on the rise um, but yeah I think Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan who are two of the major powerhouses will be absolutely fine um, I'd be more concerned it, this shows you the importance right of, of keeping active so the super heavyweight champion is Bakodir Yalolov uh, of Uzbekistan his first tournament back from the amateurs and he'd been out for a pretty long while since uh, end of 2019 and he returned in February 2021 so the first time he's fighting you know um, just over a, just a, a, about a year and five months a year and four months and um, he looked pretty rusty he didn't look great uh, his timing wasn't on point he wasn't as sharp he still had the movement but you know and then you watch him um, a little bit later and stuff and he's just blasting through guys. This was at the Governor Cup, and uh, he was he won two out of his three contests by stoppage. And you know his opponents weren't great. Um, I would say two of the guys he fought in his first tournament back, uh, which was in Bulgaria, uh, were better competition. But you know you could just see the difference. He was a lot more confident. There was a lot more authority in that one-two, which is his trademark, and. Uh, it's definitely important to shake off some amateur rust. Uh, Mirza Kalilov, Mirzizbek Mirza Kalilov is another one. He's the uh, reigning featherweight world champion. I don't think he's looked quite as good as he did since he won the world title in 2019. Um, he hasn't quite been the same. But he's gone to so many tournaments now. He's entered into pretty much like everything. Um, everything he can at least. Uh, you know, he, I've seen him absolutely everywhere this year. Um, he's probably the guy I've ended up watching the most just because he's so active. Um, and that's he's slowly starting to get into more of a groove I think at least um, you can see him coming along and, and, and just getting back to his best slowly but surely whether he'll be at his best for Tokyo remains to be seen but the way to do it is activity um, a lot of a lot of fights means a lot of uh, experience and a lot more sharpness so yeah I think it will have the, the potential for more upsets I do think that for sure, uh, especially as well in some of the divisions where some of the favourites are older guys. So, um, Ronil Iglesias or Iglesias of Cuba is a is a welterweight, one of the the welterweight guys who who's a heavy favourite to to medal in Tokyo uh, and and one of the contenders for gold. He is old now, right now. I think he's off the top of my head. He's not old in terms of like if you were. To say, oh, that's old in pro boxing, you'd be like, no, he's not. Okay, yeah, he is. He's 32, right? For amateurs, that is old. He's been going forever now. It feels like for me, at least. Um, I first, heard, like, obviously I was, uh, this was before I was really into boxing, but I remember watching him in footage that I've taped since, uh, since 2005, 2006. And it's just um, absolutely bonkers to me that, He's, uh, he's, ah, so he won his first national title in 2005 uh, against Gamboa. And that was at flyweight. And, you know, this is 2021 now. He is an old, old dude for amateur boxing. So that layoff is really going to hurt him, I feel like. Um, especially the lack of international competition that's strong. I say it will hurt him. I think it could hurt him. You get my gist. Um, same with the Russian, Andrei Zamkovoy. But luckily, he's been pretty active. He had that big upset loss, uh, upset loss, last month to Aslanbek Shimbergenov of Kazakhstan but he's been keeping active so it's less of a concern I would say the Cubans um, are the ones to be concerned about for that uh, Julio Cesala Cruz is another one he's moved up to a new weight class we haven't really seen him at heavyweight much and uh, against big guys and stuff and especially with his style because his style I don't know if you've watched him but he's very um, hands low defensive reflexes baiting guys and stuff with slick upper body movement but he, he plays a really risky game uh, and he has been clipped a few times before and made to, uh, been punished for it but you can't really afford in my opinion at least to not be sharp if you have that kind of style and at a new weight class 
uh, when you ha you've only had a couple of fights at the weight and you haven't really fought any of the best in the division uh, for a long while. And, and he's getting on as well. You know, he's he's been around a long while as well. Uh, he's one of the old guards. So that, that could potentially be dangerous as well. So I do think there's definitely the potential for some upsets. Uh, another team other than Cuba that might struggle a bit with this is, is Team GB. Um, we saw last week they returned to action in Belgrade for the first time since the World Championships in, in 2019. And, uh, you know, there were some surprising results. Uh, Matt McCormack, uh, Pat McCormack, sorry. Uh, Pat McCormack, the welterweight who, who's seen as the guy uh, who may win gold for Team GB this year. Um, he's, he's, the, he's the one that everyone seems to be pinning their hopes on, and, and rightfully so. Um, he lost to uh, Vakid Abasov, uh, the Russian-born Serbian. So, and that's an upset. That was a real upset. So it's definitely one of those ones where, um, you know, even if uh, you fought Pat one, which is, you know, completely justifiable and whatever. I mean, he did fight a naturalized Serbian in Serbia. Um, you could tell he's he wasn't quite back to, to what he once was. So it is important. And I think the lack of experience is going to is going to hurt some guys. Anyway, I'm going to move on to the next question because I've been waffling. I, I didn't realize how long I'd gone on about Keyshawn Davis and, and Mark Castro. So moving back on to the uh, to the questions. Top three countries that are generating the most prospective talents that aren't America or European. American or European. This is from at Shaf1. Great question, at Shaf1. Um, I mean, Asia. Uh, Asia is the way to look here. Um, and it's, it's the Asian countries of... Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and India. Um, Japan as well, I think, deserves special special shout out. Um, you say American. I don't know if you're including South America in that, because obviously it would be Cuba, although less so these days. Uh, they're not quite as strong these days at producing top, top guys. I've, I've watched the World Championships, uh, the Youth World Championships, um, and, and the guys that I saw coming through from Cuba, generally I was, I was pretty disappointed with. They don't look that impressive. Um, I thought they were, you know, they were okay, but, you know, it, the standards have really dropped. All the guys that are coming through that I like the look of generally um, are Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and uh, India. Japan as well. Japan has, has got some real young talents coming through all the time. They're like a conveyor belt. I'm going to start with Japan. Um, so they've got quite a interesting system because a lot of the guys who I watch who come through the Japanese amateur scene and then they they become these um, prodigies at the lower weights and you know everyone hypes them up as the next Inoue and they all seem interestingly to have very similar issues um, there's a bit of a pattern going on with um, with general um, with general Japanese boxing which is in my opinion um, that they're very, very good at closing the distance. Generally, every Japanese guy I've seen has really quick, explosive feet. They are so fleet-footed. And a, a good few examples of that are Tanaka. Um, Tanaka is one guy who has really fast feet. He, like, teleports across the ring. Um, but what they tend to struggle more with is when they're actually in range. So a lot of guys who I've seen, uh, Tanaka is one of them, for example, who he doesn't really look to tie up after he's, say, say he's thrown a combination, right? Uh, he doesn't really look to tie up, nor does he back away too much. He just kind of stands in range and he's a little bit stranded. Um, and inside games in particular and, and defense up close is something that I'm definitely seeing a pattern of not generally uh, the best uh, inside games or uh, games at mid-range for a lot, of, a lot of these Japanese boxers coming through. Uh, another one is is Kenshiro. He's very quick, but he basically runs around the ring at some points. If you've watched some of his earlier fights, um, he darts in and he closes distance really fast. But someone who can keep him consistently up close and uh, keep him in that kind of up uh, that closer range, he isn't nearly as accomplished and you know he looks a bit out of ideas he's clearly not comfortable another one who's like this um he's very highly touted uh, is young Ginjiro Shigioka 
I know the uh, my colleagues at Asian Boxing, so our uh, friends of the site, are very keen on Genjiro Shigioka. Me and uh, Lukash, who's obviously one of our boxing analysts, we watched him. There's a lot to like about Genjiro, um, but there's also some stuff that concerned us. Um, one thing in particular is Genjiro absolutely falls apart if you get him on the inside and up close. Um, he really, really has some bad tendencies. You try and watch watch him when he tries to clinch. It's it's pretty bad. It reminds me a bit of Anthony Joshua. It's uh, He leans all over, all over the place. He just kind of blindly goes for underhooks, um, staggers about. He's just, it's a mess. It's a real mess. And it's, I know he's young, but this is a, an emerging pattern I'm, I'm seeing with a lot of these uh, Japanese guys coming through. And uh, yeah, this is no different to, um, to some of the other guys that I've seen. Uh, but one in particular who I do like the look of, um, and you've probably seen me rave about him on my Twitter, is uh, Reito Tsutsumi. So Reito's brother, Hayato, uh, was also a youth champion, a youth world champion back in 2016. Uh, a lot of people have real high expectations for Hayato, uh, Hayato Tsutsumi. Hayato? Yeah, yeah, let's go for that. <laughs> um, uh, I think he looks good. I think he looks good. I, I've not been too impressed with him. I'm a lot more impressed with his brother, Reito. So Reito is 18. He won the youth world championships back last month he looked fantastic i believe it's been reported that he's undefeated uh, at the international level and obviously he's, he's still in the youth ranks so he hasn't moved up to seniors yet but um generally i think he he looks the goods um i've been nothing but impressed there's some stuff to still work on um but you know 18 of course there will be and the natural talent is phenomenal he fought a very difficult opponent in the uh, in the final of the U4 Championships. A very tricky opponent in uh, Sayonbai, who is basically the 60kg equivalent of Sebastian Fundora. Um, for those of you who don't know Fundora, he's a six foot six, absolute beanpole of a fighter who somehow competes at 154. So you know he just towers over everyone, um, and Sayonbai is very much the same. He's just so much taller than everyone. He's an awkward switch hitter. And I think Tsutsumi put in a really impressive performance in dealing with him. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't so one-sided to the point where I was like, wow, this kid is is something. But I did have that when he fought in the semi-finals against uh, Radoslav Rosanov, who is the European champion. Um, but yeah, Suyambai is going to be a tricky task for anyone especially someone like Satsumi. Satsumi is is pretty damn short for the weight um, but he's so quick he's so explosive and he's so good at using an opponent's jab as an entry point and countering off of it um, you know was able to land big southpaw overhand lefts uh, on many occasions caught some Sayanbai with some really nice clean shots um, and he impressed me throughout I think Japan have got some real talented guys coming through um, and they're definitely ones to watch out for India, I've spoke about at length before, but they're having a bit of a uh, an emerging superpower moment in amateur boxing. A lot of the guys in India have really been coming through in the past uh, two years or so. Starting off really with Amit Pangal. Um, Amit was originally, he was like a good fighter, but he lost to Hasanboya Duzmatov at the World Championships. And then he's just improved leaps and bounds since then. And there's just been loads of other guys who have cropped up and been really impressive. Um, Manish Kaushik came, uh, he took the bronze medal in, in 2019 at the World Championships, got got thoroughly beaten by Andy Cruz, but you know, there's no shame in that. Um, and then just more and more have popped up and, and really made a name for themselves in the last couple of years. In, you know, this year especially, uh, Deepak Kumar beat Shaq Hobbardin Zoyrov, which was mega impressive, because Deepak isn't even on the uh, Olympic squad for India. Uh, flyweight Amit who is on the Olympic squad and is the world championship silver medalist um, he's never been able to beat Zoyrov and Deepak beat, Deepak beat him first try so you know it is uh, very impressive and they've got some real depth for each of the weights um, so yeah I've, I'm very keen on the progress that's being done in India and I think they're really going to come good in the next five years um, not just in the amateurs I'm fully expecting them to to kick off a real renaissance in, in the professional ranks. 
And I know that Bob Arum has tried to crack the Indian market before, but I think this is going to be the time to do it with all these stars coming through. And it is popular there. It's growing in popularity a lot more now. Um, you know, it's really getting some attraction. And obviously I, I do amateur boxing content myself. I upload videos and a lot of my uh, audience often is from India. Um, they're, you know, there's a real passionate fan base there uh, to ex to uh, well, I say exploit, but it's exactly that exploit uh, the market if you're uh, a promoter. And uh, yeah, I think they can build some stars. I really do. As well as that, you've heard me talk about Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan uh, on many occasions. My love affair with with those two boxing nations is is well known. At the Youth World Championships, you know, it just reaffirmed it for me. There's plenty of very talented Kazakhs, Uzbeks coming through. Uh, Uzbeks in particular, uh, Muzaffarov, uh, who won gold at flyweight. Uh, he was someone who I liked the look of a lot. There's also um, Zakirov, Jakongir Zakirov, who I thought was good. He looks like a less refined Mark II of Bakudir Yalilov, to be honest. Uh, similarly, you know, rinses the one two to great effect but doesn't quite have uh, some of Yalilov's attributes but he's similarly huge so they're very similar to one another uh, although Yalilov is a lot more developed and I, I think Zakharov is gonna hit some trouble when he t turns over to the seniors and is faced with a dedicated pressure fighter um, I really do but I hope he continues to develop and uh, I fully expect him to do just that as for Kazakhstan, yeah, uh, I, there's some like Mahmoud Sabikhan, who I've been raving about, only 19 years old, and he has shot up my international rankings, uh, really impressed me so far, and I like the look of him a lot. He's got a really fun style as well, and I think he's someone who can keep on improving, and, and really, I expect him to be a future amateur world champion, depending on what weight he competes at. He's moved up to 56 kilograms for the Asian Championships that are coming up. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure if he's going to stay there or it's just because Sarkin Bibosinov, uh, who he's beaten already, is already the Olympic representative at 52 kg uh, flyweight. So it's too late to displace him. So I don't know if it's a permanent move. He's quite a big um, flyweight though, so I wouldn't be surprised. And You know, obviously he's filling out. So I wouldn't be surprised sooner rather than later if he ends up moving. Um, so yeah, I uh, I do really enjoy uh, watching all, all of those countries, and I think those are the ones to keep an eye out for as the as the countries to keep an eye out for for generating prospective talents. So moving on, um, I've got I've got three more questions. Um, do you think the standard of coaching in the UK has been a barrier to producing more of the kinds of talents that have historically come out of much smaller Latin American nations? Uh, yes, I think our coaching lets us down. I think GB Boxing does a good job. I really do. But I think as well, we could really do with some better quality coaching. Now, let's be fair here. Um, Rob McCracken, who runs the GB program, has done a really good job. Right, um, but I think there are a lot of underlying issues with uh, British boxing, which have prevented us from going to that next level. Because you know we are not a big island, obviously here in the UK, um, but and you're always going to get right a higher quality of coaching and and talents in in America just by virtue of you know sheer size and um, population. It's always going to be that way, but we could do more to maximise what talent we do have. And I think Burtley, uh, the northern gym uh, near Newcastle, is a great example of getting it right. And they are a factory of talents, right? A lot of our best guys are coming from there. Pat McCormack, Luke McCormack, um, Callum French, Mark Dickinson, who's just made the switch to the pros and is now working with MTK, so uh, Ben Davison and, and Lee Wiley. And they're doing a great, great job. I do think, though, we are being hampered from progressing to that next level. Part of the issue is I don't think there's as much of a team culture in Team GB as there is in other countries. And I'm not saying there isn't a team culture in Team GB, but, for example, Uzbekistan, 
they are literally family. And it feels like to me that at the Team GB level, it's less of it's less centralised. Um, you know, they have their individual coaches from their gym, like like Pete McGrail, uh, right? He's at uh, Red Triangle in Everton, I believe. I know he's a Liverpudlian, but I think that's his gym. And you've got some of the guys at Burtley. Um, you've got Ben Whit- Benjamin Whitaker at uh, Firewalker, which is run by Joby Clayton. And it seems generally that there's not much of a centralised system as much as I think there should be. I think uh, as well, the the way... I think the coaching in general, not just the amateurs, but the pros as well, um, there's a lot of nepotism and old heads in British boxing. Too many guys get the job because of their surname or get somewhere because of their surname. Um, And I think... There are some examples of this. My first thought of this would be Ingle. I don't think Ingle is nearly as good as his dad was. Um, Brendan Ingle and Dominic Ingle share a name and not much else because, you know, um, I, I, I'm going to get him confused. Dominic's the current one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I think Dominic's taken his dad's template, uh, but just it's just not as successful. And, you know, it's it's one of those industries, boxing, where it's really hard to get into if you're um, if you're not part of the boxing establishment, so to speak. Shane McGuigan's another one, right? I think Shane's a good coach. But the frustrating thing is, you know, it's so much easier when your surname is McGuigan. Um, and I do think that nepotism is a real barrier to, to going up that next level. Um, and there's so many young coaches, right, with some great ideas. And I'm not talking Tunde Ajayi. I'm talking the Lee Wileys of the world. I'm talking of the Joby Claytons of the world. These are very exciting, intelligent coaches. And I'm going to use Lee as an example. Um, but for those who know, uh, Lee previously worked uh, as a factory worker for many years whilst he was whilst he was producing YouTube videos. I hope he's okay with me sharing that. Um, but, you know, that's a diamond, right? That Unless Ben Davidson took a chance on him, that could that talent and that raw ability to coach could have been you know completely overlooked and this Lee is going to prove that he is you know one of the best coaches in the world I have no doubt about that whatsoever um, he's already shown what he can do with one camp with with uh, Callum McGregor um, I think I've got his name right there it's uh, something like that Lee McGregor Lee McGregor that's the one Lee McGregor um, you know, he's going to show what his ability is like and, and how good he is as a coach. But the opportunities to actually break in and stuff and uh, and work your way into the boxing establishment just aren't there. And I think it is a real barrier to success. In Cuba as well, I think Cuba are struggling more now. Uh, but one of the things I've seen a lot with, with Cuba, with Uzbekistan, is A, there's more of a centralised um, way about it. So they each come from either the individual provinces or counties as we call them here um, but there is a centralized you know system and it's a lot more tight-knit I would say than what GB looks like to me from the outside as well I think the the actual quality of coaching and the emphasis on tactics I don't think there's there's definitely things that team GB look for but I think the philosophy as a whole can be improved um, but yeah you know um, we need to keep striving to push for better. I think America have got a really good head coach um, going for them. They are uh, in in Bill Walsh uh, or Welsh, I believe. I, I'm, I always get his name confused. This is like the second podcast in a row where I've done this wrong. Um, I think it's Billy Walsh. Billy Walsh. Yeah, it's Billy Walsh. Billy Walsh. Yeah. Um, and he's Irish, right, originally, Billy Walsh. And they contacted him in America to head up the US amateur program. I don't think they'll do well in this Olympics, but I don't think that's Billy's fault at all. I think he's done a really good job with that amateur team. Um, they've just been very unlucky that a lot of their stars have turned over. And then there's been some other unfortunate circumstances um, which have hindered them as well. I don't think the way that America... Uh, the United States does its selection for the Olympics is particularly great. Um, The way they actually do it in terms of qualifying for the Olympic team, I think is, is pretty shy. I would, instead of like one tournament where you box off and stuff, I would, I would go for consistency. 
I can see the argument for like a one tournament kind of setup uh, where winner takes all, whatever, because that way, um, you know, it's a better indication of form. But there are some guys who I think have earned their spot on that team and really should be, you know, the consistency they've displayed over the four year Olympic cycle should take greater precedence than, you know, recent results or a, a split decision that didn't go their way in the in the Olympic trials and, you know, they miss out. Um, but, you know, it, it's obviously subjective. So, yeah, I think there are ba uh, barriers. This is probably something I, I need to think about more, actually, because I, I forgot this question was actually on my Twitter. Um, and it's something I did have a, a think about to myself. But to be honest, um, I've obviously had my exams on my mind and whatever. So I haven't had too much put too much thought into it I, I had this conversation before though and i probably could give a more comprehensive answer that i'd be more satisfied with at a later date so that's one to keep in the in the memory as well and i'll, I'll probably get back to that at some point so we've got two more questions uh the next one is from i believe this is hamad yusuf the next one um one second Hamad Yusuf, where is it? Uh, the first one I'm not going to answer because it's a historical one and I'm, I'm looking at the time and I, I, I want to get these last two answered. But who do you think is the smartest boxer ever together with mentioning the reading reasoning? Um, I personally think it's... I think it's Duran. I think he's a genius, even though he often gets criticised as a brawler, uh, I think his ring IQ was off the charts, but I will defer to the better judgement of Ray Arcel, uh, who is his coach uh, and has obviously spent a lot more time with with, with Duran than, than I ever did, um, and he said it was Benny Leonard, he said Benny Leonard's mental um, energy was off the charts, so I think Benny Leonard is a very fair answer, but if you asked me, it would be Roberto Duran. Um, I don't think that's particularly shocking either from, you know, uh, the self-professed Duran fanboy. But he was definitely the, the the most intelligent in terms of ring IQ of the four kings. A lot of people think it's Sugar Ray Leonard. I would disagree. I think Leonard is the bigger puncher, the more athletic of the two, and probably as well the more dangerous. Um, you know, he's, he's killer finishing instinct. But I think the smarter was Duran. Um, and I think it's a, a real big misconception about the four kings, particularly Leonard and Duran. Um, the other one, this is the last one we've got, is, oh, I like this. This is from M 724 In your opinion, what's the best way for a fighter to deal with an opponent who is consistently fouling, bending the rules? Well, great question. A, depends on the foul. And, and you know, you've got to kind of tailor your response to what's actually coming your way. Um... A good part of this is learn from it and take, don't, you know, just complain and, and look at the ref and, you know, uh, do you remember Mayweather Maidana where Maidana was doing some pretty weird punching angles and stuff and he was breaking Mayweather's Michigan shell um, by, he'd like push him back and then use his head to like wedge it between the, uh, the shell or whatever, you know, head on his chest or he'd... Um, he like forced Mayweather's arms up into like a high guard. Unorthodox tactics like that, verging on dirty tactics. Um, luckily, Mayweather had the benefit of a ref who was far, 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 far too keen to break things up. You know, any sign of trouble like that. And, and I believe it was Kenny Bayless just straight away came to his rescue and Floyd acting like a damsel in distress. Um, you just get on with it and don't get caught up with it because I think... There are some situations as well where you can lose your head in the moment. Um, if you feel like you're being wrongly fouled and whatever, obviously, you know, express your feelings and whatever, but don't lose your head because of it. Um, and there's some instances as well where guys have felt like they've been on the, you know, the, uh, the bad hand of some very, very dirty tricks. Uh, like rabbit punching for example and they've lashed out and they've lost their composure and it's thrown a spanner in their works stick to your game plan keep your cool head stay composed and work your way through it um, if you've got an opponent who is you know real really throwing low rabbit punching at every opportunity and stuff constantly leaning on you 
stick to your plan, don't lose your head, and as well, fight a little bit dirty. Um, one thing that Lomachenko picked up after the Salido fight was he started stepping on people's feet, uh, opponents' feet, uh, and you see it a lot, especially the Nicholas Walters fight. He was standing on Nicholas Walters' lead foot a lot. Um, hitting on the break as well is something that Lomachenko's added to his repertoire. Um, little things like that, tricks. Um, and that's key as well, you know, don't, obviously, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, if someone hits you in the uh, the privates once, don't just, you know, sucker punch them, obviously. Um, but, you know, give as little, give as, much, as good as you can get. Um, you know, be rough yourself in the wrestling and stuff. You know, really try and impose yourself as well. Don't let people have it their own way entirely. Um, show that you're not there to just take that kind of treatment. Um, you know, rough housing tactics and whatever. And the, the way you actually deal with rough housing tactics depends on what tactics they are. Um, so you might get one guy who's, you know, really trying to lean you against the ropes and tie you out and weigh you out. So focus on avoiding him. Um, you know, use your lateral movement. Don't back up in straight lines. Uh, and loads of different things, really. Uh, you know, just, just keep your head, I would say, is the best thing. Um, and hopefully the ref does his job to some degree. If it's that egregious, you know, you'd like to think that the ref would step in. But, you know, or just spam and clinches if you want to, uh, as Clemente, Clemente Russo does in the amateurs. He just uh, hits you with one and then just spams the clinch like it's uh, PlayStation. So, yeah, good question. Um, but don't be afraid to get dirty yourself. Keep your head. And, uh, yeah, just generally... Um, Stick to your game plan. Stick to your game plan. If it's throwing a spanner in the works, you know, try and dissuade guys. So if you've got someone who's marching forward and doesn't care what he hits, he's just going to screw up your guard, hit you in the balls, whatever. Stick to your game plan. Try and dissuade. Um, and, you know, work on the back foot if you have to. Um, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening, guys, today. I am going to get back to my essay writing. Uh, but it's been a pleasure as always speaking and I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. The next one will definitely be out next week. So my exams, as I said, are finished this Friday coming. So they'll be all ready then. Thanks again, guys, and stay safe. Peace out.